Welcome this morning. I have the pleasure of just sharing our new series called Local Hospitality. Now, um, a couple of months ago, my son wanted to have a play date with his friend Keon. And so I emailed his dad and set it all up, right? Like, oh yeah, just come to my house at 1 p.m. Like, you know, like they've been asking for a play date. It's going to be great. Um, and, you know, as you would have it, like, I was like, oh, we have a plan. Well, I'll go, the, like, I'll make sure that I clean up and tidy up a little bit 10 minutes before they get there, and it'll be a two-hour maybe blah, 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 right? Well, I go work out at the gym, and that takes longer than usual. I pick up the kids from, I don't remember where, and we're running late, right? Um, and we get there 10 minutes after one. <laughs> And I was like, maybe they're a kind of family that like run 10, 10 minutes late. Well, they weren't. And they were standing at my door. Um, Keon, who's been waiting for this play date for two weeks, both his parents waiting there dressed really nicely with a gift bag in hand, waiting for us. And so I was like, oh, oh. like strike one, you know, like my mom would hate this. And I know I didn't have those 10 minutes to clean up the house. So I'm like, I'm going to open the house up to them and it's going to be crazy, you know, like I didn't set aside any snacks or anything, nothing has happened, right, so I'm like profusely apologizing, I'm so sorry we're being late, like I'm sorry that, I mean, you know, like that, you know, the house is a little messy, I'm sorry, but so we go in and I'm in the process of like setting up the kids to play and like throwing some cookies on the tray and making tea while all the while trying to like frantically like just tidy up a little bit around them, you know, and, and ask like, hey, how are you? I've never met them before. And so they're sharing a little bit about like their home country in Bangladesh and a little bit of their story and stuff. And the only thing that's going on in my head is just trying to figure out when can I like sneak off for like just two minutes to change into something more presentable. Um, and I'm kind of like absent-mindedly asking different questions, but Clearly, I am not fully there. Um, and in that moment, I realized, man, you know, like in an effort to be hospitable, I miss out on the true heart of hospitality, which is just to be present and curious. And instead, I am focused on the externals of hospitality. My house was not tidy, I was late, I looked a mess, you know, like all of the above. And to be fair, we have grown up in a culture that expects us to be Martha Stewart, right? Like, we are expected to have elaborate, beautiful flower arrangements at five-course meals. We have Pinterest boards on charcuterie boards, right? Like, and, and in addition to that, we have probably all grown up with our parents and our culture saying, you better not invite someone over and not your house is spotless. Like, don't you dare invite someone over unless you have enough food for your guests so that they do not leave completely stuffed. You know, like, I know that from my Chinese culture, hospitality needs to look a certain way. And so it's intimidating, right? It's intimidating to invite someone over because when is my house spotless? Never, right? Like, when do I have the resources and time to create an elaborate five-course meal and beautiful flower arrangement? No, that's not tea, right? Like, and when would I ever want to invite someone over to a messy house to eat my leftovers and like not step on Legos, right? Like, so with that, it just feels hard to choose into hospitality, to choose into inviting people over to my house when the bar feels so high, 
Anyone feeling that? Yeah. <laughs> and yet, hospitality is not just a good idea or a cultural expectation. It is actually a biblical invitation. And so what do you say? A biblical command for people, for God's people, right? It is all over scripture, but let me just give one of the examples. First Peter 4, 8, and 9, it says this, Above all, love, loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It doesn't say, those of you who are good cooks, show hospitality. It doesn't say, those of you who have big homes are set up for hospitality, show hospitality. It doesn't say, those of you who have the spiritual gift of hospitality, which by the way, there is no spiritual gift of hospitality, show hospitality. It just says, ask the Lord, this is what it looks like to love Jesus. We love one another, and we love one another showing hospitality without grumbling. Now, if we are to show hospitality, let's talk a little bit about what we mean by hospitality. Right? So Webster's says, hospitality is a friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. That's pretty basic, right? But I would dare to say that hospitality is not just merely about creating a space, right, where we get to have an exchange of conversation of food and drink and whatever, it is actually about um, welcoming guests and whether or not we are hospitable people. Whether or not we are hospitable people. Hospitality is rooted in love and graciousness. It is not performance-based, right? Hospitality is relationally-based, not performance-based. And if you were to read articles about like foolproof recipes to wow your guests or like, you know, like how to make your home guest friendly and guest ready. Um, these are all performance-based things to do. And not to say that they don't welcome guests, but I think that we tend to focus on those things instead of focusing on hospitality as a relationally-based thing. Amen? And so I would say we can be hospitable in a parking lot. Because what it means to be hospitable is to be innocent and curious, right? We could do that in a church pew when we do meet and greet, which we didn't do this morning, right? We can do that in a coffee shop. It doesn't have to be our space. It doesn't have to be our home. It can just be anywhere we go in any expected moment. We can choose to be hospitable people. Because hospitality is more about making space for someone to feel seen and heard and loved. Right, And we can do that wherever we are. We don't need to have people come into our homes to do that. So no matter how many cookies I throw on a plate, no matter how neat my house is, if I am not hospitable in here, then I'm not actually being all that hospitable. Now, I want to look at Jesus as the ultimate example, right? Because Jesus was a hospitable person, and he reflects God, who is a hospitable God. Right, so let's go ahead and turn to Luke 19 this morning, and we just see an interaction with him and, and how he displays hospitality. Uh, we get to look at Luke 19, 1 through 10. But even as I say this, we have just finished up a series on gifted for more, and we talk about our different gifts and our different um, 
skills that we bring into every setting. And I just want to say hospitality looks different for each of us because we have different gifts and skills and how we do hospitality just looks different, right? So someone who is gifted in interpersonal skills, their hospitality looks very different than someone who is gifted in, you know, like civic minded like gifts, right? So some of us are amazing in making every space feel more welcoming, right? Like Lisa Toe, right? <laughs> I am not that person. I am not gifted in that way. Others of us are excellent cooks and others of us can just go ahead and make someone feel like, wow, I found my best friend in you, right? I, I feel like I want to divulge all my information to you because you feel like a safe person to me. That is a gift. Not everybody is able to be hospitable in that way, but some of you in this room are. So let's look at this passage with me this morning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature, meaning he was short. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they, all the crowds, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham, where the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay. Now, Jesus at this point in, in Luke's story, he's well known. He has been teaching. He's been going to different towns. He's been healing. And what people have been experiencing of Jesus has been this ministry of freedom. This ministry of freedom where it isn't about, are you doing the right thing? Are you enough? Are you giving enough to the temple? Are you following all these rules? But it was a ministry of freedom. Hey, are you experiencing relationship with the living God who pursues you and longs to be with you? And they were experiencing that through his teaching, but they were also experiencing that by seeing who he was hanging out with, right? He was associating himself with people that were on the fringes, that were ostracized, that were not usually accepted into the temple with sinners, right? He was like, I want to hang out with you. I want to associate myself with you. This is where God dwells. This is where he wants to associate himself. And people were experiencing this ministry of freedom and seeing religiosity turned on its head, and it was refreshing, and it was good. And they were longing to see him, and they were curious about who he was. They were curious about who this guy was who was calling himself the son of God right? And so here Jesus comes into Zacchaeus' town, and Zacchaeus is curious to see him. Now, what are we told about Zacchaeus? We're told that he is a tax, chief tax collector and that he is very wealthy. Now, some of you who have grown up in the church, you know, like as soon as we hear the word Zacchaeus, you're singing a song in your head, 
right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? So you might know some basics about Zacchaeus. If you haven't grown up in Sunday school or don't know about this guy who has a song to his name, uh, what we know about him is that he is a tax collector. And what that means is that he stole people's money, (laughs) right? So what happened in that day? The Jewish people were ruled by the Roman Empire, and they were oppressively ruled by them. And they did not like being their own people with their own freedoms. And the Romans would hire Jewish people to go and collect taxes heavily on the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people saw the tax collectors as traitors. Why would you go against your own people and work for the man, right? So that's number one. They were seen as traitors. But most tax collectors also skimmed a little bit off the top. They charged more than what the Romans were charging because they were like, hey, we have this power. We can do whatever we want. People have to go ahead and obey us. And so this is our way to get rich. And so they would charge even more than what the Romans were already charging. And because of that, a lot of tax collectors were wealthy. And also, they were hated. Because not only were they traitors, but they took advantage of their own people so that they could get higher in in this society. And so what we know is when it says that he is very wealthy, between the lines that means he stole from everybody in this town. And everybody knew it, and no one could stop it. And so they despised him. They despised him, right? Zacchaeus is the bad guy here in this story. And yet what we're also told is that he is curious about Jesus. He is curious about this guy who would hang out with sinners. He's curious about this guy who would go to the edges and invite them and go to their homes and sit with them. And I do wonder if we could just go a step deeper into who Zacchaeus is, not just as a short guy who climbs up a tree. I would imagine that he is very lonely, that he has a lot of money, but nobody wants to come to his house and enjoy his feasts and his parties because he's burned bridges with every single person in town. That the only people that will hang out with him are the people who are also doing what he's doing. And at this point, he is judged by what he has done fairly, right? But he's either used to the lifestyle that he's had, right, with the wealth and the power, and there's no way to undo what he's already done. And he feels stuck in just being identified by what he's done, even if he might have regretted that he chose this profession. So he is lonely and he's curious about this Jesus guy. And so he climbs up a tree, which by the way, they wore long robes. So it was undignified to lift up your robes to show your knees. And for sure he had to show his knees if he was to climb a tree. But he was willing to go into great efforts to see this Jesus. And I don't know what he expected, but he was like, I just wanna see him. I'm not expecting like lunch with him. I'm not expecting even a conversation with him. I just want to see this guy, this guy that might offer this ministry of freedom that maybe I might be interested in if I admit it to myself, that truth, right? And so he climbs up a tree and it says, Jesus was just passing through. And but what we see in scripture is sometimes when he just chooses to pass through, things happen. He ends up crossing paths with different people. He was passing through Samaria, and he ends up in a two-day, you know, like side trip in Samaria with the women at the well, right? And again, we see him passing through 
in this town that Zacchaeus is in, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he says, he calls him by name, and he says, I must be a guest at your house today. I must hang out with you today. Let's go to your house and hang out. Now, I don't know what Jesus' plans were for that day. I don't know if he was planning, like, there's going to be a stop. I'm going to stop at some people's homes. But I would imagine that there is a spontaneity and a flexibility that he has in who he is that allows these things to keep happening. That his eyes are more focused on these people around him than his schedule. I totally don't know where I am right now, but can you imagine what it would be like for Zacchaeus to say, whoa, there are all these people that he could hang out with and he's zeroing on me. And surely everybody else is paying attention, right? Because we know two things that happen. One is that everyone is grumbling that he chose Zacchaeus to hang out with. Ugh, doesn't he know that he's a sinner? He shouldn't associate himself with that guy. We all hate him. Come to our house instead. We'll all hang out together because we deserve one another, <laughs> right? Zacchaeus deserves no one because of what he's done, right? They are not happy with his choice. The second, we see. Zacchaeus' response after hanging out with Jesus. Now, I have no idea what happens at Zacchaeus' house. We are not told that. Luke does not tell us what they eat, what conversation they have, whether or not Jesus has a confrontation with Zacchaeus of what it looks like to write his life. We have no idea what happens. What we see, though, is the result of their time together. We see that Zacchaeus comes and he chooses to make things right by essentially choosing to be poor, right? He says, Half of what I give, I give have, I give to the poor. And then if I have defrauded and stole from anyone, which he has, we know that, I will give back fourfold. And so what that means is that he's going to choose to be poor for the rest of his life because there's no way that he's going to do that and not lose all his money. And that is the result of his time with Jesus. He turns his life around. Every single time there is hospitality, especially when it's hospitality to the stranger, which is in, in biblical terms, that's what it means, welcoming the stranger. There is transformation that happens. Salvation has come to this house, right? That's what Jesus says. Salvation has come to this house. There is transformation that happens in Zacchaeus' life where he feels like there is no way that I can change my life, that I can turn things around, that I can have a different identity. After an afternoon with Jesus where he feels seen and heard and loved, suddenly there is a way. And it is a hard way, right? It is hard to make things right for Zacchaeus. And yet he finds freedom in it. He finds joy in it where once it felt impossible, right? Jesus makes miracles happen when we see hospitality. What if we expected that every single time we extended hospitality, that there would be transformation, that there would be an opportunity for God to bring miracles every single time we extended hospitality. Every couple of months, some of the women here have been coming to prayer and pastries. Now, maybe you guys have seen some announcements about it, but essentially that's all it is. There's pastries and we pray. Um, but... Every single time we've gotten together, it's always been a different group of women. It's been a mix of seven to 12 women. And um, I will tell you, we sit on folding chairs 
in a not all that aesthetic room in the community hall downstairs. I don't even bother with tablecloths. There's no candles being lit. There is a box of Kleenex and a bunch of pastries, and that's as aesthetic as it gets. Um, but what we do is we make space for every single person to share, and we share honestly about where we need more of God. We make space. We don't offer advice very often. We just listen and we grieve with one another. It is a holy space. We speak the words that we have only been thinking to ourselves and the things that we've been only carrying on our hearts that we're too afraid to utter. Because if we utter it, we don't know what it would do with our hearts and our disappointments and, and what we would do with that grief when we hold it in our hands now that it's floating out there. And it is in that space that we bring it up. It is in that space where we say it. It is in that space where we offer it up and say, I need somebody else to carry this with me. I wonder if everything's going to be okay, right? And it is in that space that we extend and receive hospitality from one another. And we pray for one another because most of these things we can't fix. Most of these things, there aren't enough words to mend or soothe. We just need a God who's able to carry that and to speak the words of life into those places. The only thing we know to do is to offer that up to God and carry one another to someone who can carry it. And transformation happens every time. Transformation happens every time, right? I wonder what it would be like if every single time we extended hospitality or welcome someone into a place where they are seen, known, and loved, that we would expect God to do great things, that we would expect healing, that we would expect transformation, that we would expect God to do something deeper than just share a meal together, right? Because that's what we see in scripture. And I wonder if we've just expected hospitality to be like, well, it's just something nice that we do because, you know, our culture expects it of us. And I wonder what it would be like if we practiced the rhythm of hospitality, right? Here's the thing. I feel like, at least for me, the pandemic had kind of taken away the practice of hospitality, right? And even though we were siloed into our own homes, right, um, in our in all the ways that we didn't know what was that pandemic and what COVID meant and all of that, we craved hospitality. We craved going into one another's home. We craved community with one another. And all we had to settle on was Zoom. And you saw all these different ways that we were trying to be creative, right? Like, okay, happy hour at four on Zoom. Get your snacks and drinks, right? So we so, so sadly all had our drinks and our snacks at 4 p.m. looking at each other on the screen. Or we would go to the park and we would have picnic blankets six feet apart and be like, how's it going over there? Right? I remember articles about what, what you had to do with your food to be safe about sharing food with neighbors. I remember reading an article and like seeing, oh yeah, what do you have to do? Is cooking it in my home without a mask okay to then share that food with a neighbor? Right? If it's not reheated, is that okay? Right? We longed for community and hospitality and we couldn't have it. And so in time, I think our muscles just atrophied. 
We just were like, well, I guess this is what life is. We'll just always cook for two or one or four or whatever, right? We'll just get used to not having people at the table. And then when, even when we extended the table at some point, we would get calls last minute. Oh, I think that there's something like there's a tickle in my throat. We're going to have to cancel. Cancellations were like the norm. Right? And we just had to get used to that. And it was exhausting. It was exhausting making plans and having them constantly canceled. Whether or not we were the ones doing the canceling or whether we were getting canceled on, we were just like, it's too much. It's not worth it. <laughs> Forget it. You know? And I think that the invitation now is to, hey, what if we started working those muscles again? What if we started inviting people to the table again? What if we started, you know, the practice and the rhythm of hospitality again? Because I admit to you, it is a muscle that I am, it's, it's taken a little while for me to work that out because it's kind of nice, right? Like it's kind of nice sometimes not have to think about that. It's kind of nice keeping it nice and small. It's kind of nice not having to worry about what my house looks like. It's just, there are things that are kind of nice about not practicing hospitality. Because as much as I say, you know, hospitality is about us as people, right? Like, we, as long as we are hospitable people, it doesn't matter about inviting people into our homes. There is something very special about inviting someone into your home, isn't there? Isn't there something special about, well, maybe not inviting someone into your home, but when you are invited into someone's home, there is something special that happens because you're like, Oh, I had no idea this was you. Oh, I, I, this tells me more about who you are with the art that you hang up. It tells me more about you with like the way that you have your kitchen laid out. Oh my goodness, it tells me more about you with like the books that you have on your shelf, right? When you are invited into someone's home, it's almost like you're invited to like be an insider and you know how special that is, you know? There's this quote by Shannon Martin. She says this. There's this, she writes this book called Start With Hello. I love it. It's basically, how do I become, how do I grow in being a neighbor, right? How do I start that as an introvert, as someone who, you know, would like to stay in my home? How do I do that? And her book, Start With Hello, if you're looking for someone to kind of, someone to kind of help you with that. Her quote says this, sharing our homes is like breaking off a piece of ourselves and passing it around. A true offering of just as we are, acceptance. The good life awaits, that messy, last minute, grab your own fork kind, but only if we're willing to trust that all good things are best when shared. When we invite people into our homes, we're not inviting them into model homes. People live here. It's going to be messy. There are going to be toys all over. There are going to be crusty dishes in the sink. That is what we're inviting people into. Hey, here is the real me. This is who I am. I'm not inviting you into a hotel room that is perfect, that I have other people come in and clean it up every single day. This is just where I live. And there is something really refreshing about that because when we are able to say, this is just who I am, this is where I live, this is just my authentic self, it gives other people the opportunity to just be who they are too, right? If it's too neat, then I'm like, oh, is it okay to sit here? Like, I don't want to like, you know, put a butt dent in your sofa, which looks pristine, right? Like, is, is it okay to like eat on this table? It just looks too nice, right? 
There's something beautiful about the authenticity of inviting someone into your home and not having it be performance-based. I am put together. I, this is just how we eat, right? Like five course meals, but just saying, hey, we're having pizza tonight. You wanna come over and eat some Bellagio's, right? Like that is how we roll, right? Um, there is something authentic in that. Most of us understand hospitality as welcoming other people into our homes. We all love the idea of hospitality. We have a value for hospitality, but what stops us from actually offering hospitality? Well, I think it requires a generosity in your schedule and time, in your resources and sharing your food and your, you know, your money, right? Like hospitality costs money. Hospitality costs ourselves time, right? It does take time. I think that there is a welcoming of inconvenience, right? When you invite someone into your home, when you have hospitality, it is inconvenient. If you're just gonna make yourself, you know, a ramen and sit and watch a show, there's nothing inconvenient about that. It is inconvenient to like clear off your dining table of all the clutter that has been gathering there and say, okay, now I'm gonna have to clean this up so that people have a place to sit. That is inconvenient, right? Our own insecurity, right? Oh, what are they gonna say when they come to my house? It's, it's you know, like, what do I need to do to make it, you know, maybe my food isn't good enough, right? Like, are people gonna like my food? Are the kids gonna have places to play? Is it safe enough, right? Like our own insecurity and fear of judgment, right? What are they gonna see about me that they're gonna, not gonna like? Am I gonna be enough? Is this meal gonna be enough? Is this house gonna be enough? Am I gonna be enough? Am I gonna have riveting conversation? Should I think of questions ahead of time, right? Like we just get so worked up, but at the end we're like, it's not worth it. I'm not inviting anyone over. I'm not gonna text someone and say, would you like to come over for dinner on Thursday? Because we just start spinning, right? Like we start thinking of all the things and then it just becomes too much. All these different things stop us from actually acting on the value that we have for hospitality. Because if I was to ask you, you know, like, what is the one thing that brings community together, that deepens relationships? You would say, yeah, like hanging out with each other. And yet we don't do that as much, right? There's this one other quote I wanted to share is by Dr. Vivek Murthy on loneliness, right? You've heard, been hearing about how like loneliness is this new epidemic that we're dealing with as a society. And he says this, even in a crowd, you can feel profoundly lonely. And this is why the world is filled with so many people who seemingly have it all. But what really matters is the quality of connections that we have. That whenever we have interactions with people where we feel like we can't be ourselves, that actually separates us further and further from other people. That we can be around one another, we can hang out, but if we are not actually being authentic, if we're not being real, if we feel like I have to put on a show to be hospitable, then we're just gonna feel more and more lonely. And what I wanna say this morning is biblical hospitality is not let's do it the Martha way, right? Like the Martha Stewart way and also the Martha Mary way, right? Like it is that we just come as we are. We just invite people as we are and we experience a relationship and a friendship that we've been longing for. And how it starts is with invitation. It starts with invitation. And I know we all know how to do hospitality, but I'm just gonna bring it down on a very basic level. Hospitality starts with invitation. And by the way, Jesus, when he sees Zacchaeus, he doesn't say, hey, we should hang out sometime, right? He says, I must be a guest at your house today, right now. Let's do this, 
let's hang out sometime is not an invitation. And I am saying that to myself, who says that a lot, right? It is not an invitation to say that it is an intention, and that's great. It, it, it has its place. I don't want to be like, don't say that, right? But it doesn't make something happen, right? Hey, what are you doing Thursday night? You want to come over and watch The Bachelor and roll eyes together? That is an invitation, right? You want to... You know what? Like, hey, I, I've been meaning to check out this brunch place. You want to go and check it out with me on Saturday morning? That is an invitation. Now, I think that it is very hard to make invitations because, one, we're all very busy and we have different schedules, right? And to find a time where we can even give an invitation is hard. But second of all, no one likes to hear no. Right? I don't want to throw out an invitation unless I'm going to get a yes. Well, and unfortunately, you do not know the other person's schedule. So you just need to kind of throw it out there and see, okay, are they going to say yes or no? And it is vulnerable to make an invitation because you might very likely hear a no or worse yet, hear nothing at all. Right? But if we want to see biblical hospitality, if we want to see transformation and deeper friendships, we will have to make invitations. And we will hear no's. But sometimes that will be followed up with a, that doesn't work for me, but how about the following Monday? Right? If you are being invited, please respond to texts and emails. Right? It is super lonely <laughs> sending something out there into the you know, atmosphere and not getting anything back. Right? Um, but to be able to follow it up, right? Invitation is a hard thing to do, but I think we can all do it. And so we're all going to practice this this week. You, I'm not going to do biblical hospitality without asking us to actually do something about it. This week, invite someone over. Invite someone over, right? It could be, hey, come over and just grab a coffee with me. You know, like I make mediocre, mediocre coffee. Come over and have a cup. Or it could be, hey, my kids are super bored this summer. Would you like to come over and play with my kids and bring your kids along, right? Or it could just be, hey, I'm going to have leftovers tonight. Would you like to come over? <laughs> Whatever you can offer. And I will say this. Some of you are not in the place where you're like, I, I really don't feel like I'm at a place where I can invite someone over yet. That's okay. Right? Like I said, the invitation is really for us to be hospitable people. Maybe for you, you're like, I can just invite someone to take a walk with me, not at my house. Right? Or I can invite someone to meet me at this place. Here's the other caveat that I will say. There are people that you've already been inviting over. Those are not the people that I'm talking about this week. Okay? I want us to think of someone that you're like, I've been meaning to get together with this person. I'm curious about this person, and we've only connected at church for two minutes each time before we are interrupted or one of us has to go. I just want to invite that person and say, hey, I would love to get to know you better. Or, hey, I see that our, our kids are playing well with one another. Or, you know, I would love to hear more of your story. Can we just connect over coffee? Not sometime. Give a specific time, right? Like, and invite that person over. Would you do that this week? One last thing, um, we are going to take communion this morning. And for some of us, the idea of hospitality feels really overwhelming. And for some of us, we're like, this is what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing, and I haven't. And this is a kick in the pants to remind me, oh, yeah, like I need to work on that muscle, right? And to be able to see it 
as biblical hospitality, not just Martha Stewart hospitality, right? But the beauty of the table this morning is that we do not offer hospitality that we have not yet received, right? That Jesus is the ultimate host. And he does that because God is the ultimate host. He sets up Eden as a place of hospitality. All throughout scripture, he sets out the banqueting table and invites all sorts of people to come and sit and feast with him. And it is not about whether or not you deserve to be there. It has nothing to do with whether or not you are going to bring a hostess gift or not. It is just come as you are, come and eat, come and drink this food that is free. And this morning, as we come to the table and we take of his bread and the juice that is set before you, it is a reminder that we do not offer hospitality on our own, right? That we are not brimming over on our own of love and patience and graciousness, but that Jesus is the one that offers us all of those things, that we have first experienced the ministry of freedom, of being seen and known and loved. And it is because of that that spurs us on to say, don't I want that for other people? I walk around and I see people who long to be seen and known and loved, even for 10 minutes. Man, can I offer that? Yeah, Jesus, give that to me so that I can offer that to one another. One, one another. And so this morning, as you come and you take up the bread that was, is symbolizing his body broken for us and the juice that is symbolizing his blood that has been spilt for us, what he says to us is, you are enough. I sit here and I welcome you to my table. And would you open your table and welcome other pe people into your, our, your table as well? And so let me pray for us, and then we're going to go ahead and partake of communion together. God, we thank you that you are the consummate host, that you see us and you are present and curious about us, and that you make space when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient, and it doesn't matter because you love us. And God, I pray that we would experience uh, your presence with us as we come to the communion table this morning, that it is offered freely and it is offered um, as a place where we are seen fully as we are and accepted as we are. God, I pray that our experience at the table would spur us on to create spaces at the table for other people as well. God, would you help us work out the muscles of values that we already have, but have forgotten or have gotten used to not making space and, and getting into the rhythm of inconvenience. And God, we just pray that you would give us both courage and agency to step into biblical hospitality this week. We pray this in your name. Amen.